Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shadows of the Moon podcast. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the mysterious beast that stalked Connecticut. The mysterious case of the Hilo's airway ghost plane. And then we're going to be talking about the men in black. Can they invade your dreams and turn them into nightmares? All that and more, plus the odd and weird news of the week. So, let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to the Shadows of the Moon podcast. Where we talk everything paranormal, cryptid, UFO, strange, and the bizarre. And we hope that you join along with us. Today's stories are absolutely wild, and I want to hear your thoughts and takes. So join us in our community. All the links are down below. let's get started. Let's have some fun. Let's get creeped out. Are you ready? Our first story comes from Connecticut. So in the winter of 1938, strange reports began to circulate in the rural area of Glattonsbury, Connecticut. Animals, such as livestock and pets, began turning up dead, mauled, and torn apart as attacked by a powerful wild beast. And there was reports of blood-curdling screams from the dim woods of the area. Not long after this, people began finding large and mysterious tracks in the snow. And there began to be accounts from witnesses who said they actually seen the creature lurking about. It was typically described as being a large animal, approximately four feet long, with a long bushy tail, and looking like the combination of a dog cat and bear with a cat-like face but a thickly built black and tawny body. Now some reports mentioned eyes that glowed like embers and it was mostly said to be extremely nimble and fast for its size. So would begin the oddity of the strange predatory creature that has never been identified or explained. Now, it didn't take long for all these reports and the rumors whispered by frightened locals to hit the news, of course. Launching a minor media circus, the reports were being splashed all over the headlines, where this mysterious beast was being called the Glaucus, or Glaw, for Glattensbury, Whack for Wacky, and Us, as a technical-sounding Latin suffix. Now, in the meantime, a hunting party complete with trained hounds was mounted to look for the creature. And they headed out January 14, 1939, but they were unable to find anything. Other hunts were going on as well. One with an independent hunter reportedly getting a shot at the creature, only to miss, and another party claimed that their dogs had pursued something large, but it had been too frightened to continue the chase. In one case, hunters went as far as to actually lower a woman into a darkened cave to serve as bait for the creature. These same hunters would later claim that it had worked and that they had killed it. Although, later on, they would admit 
to it being a hoax. Now, as all this was still going on, sightings continued to come in, as well as reports of dead goats, sheep, cows, and pets. And of course, there was a lot of speculation as what could be behind it all. One idea was that it was a mountain lion or a lynx, perhaps even a fisher, while others claimed it was an escaped big cat, such as like a panther or a lion. Maybe it per perhaps escaped from the zoo after the great hurricane of 1938. And others were still sure that it was a bear or even a rabid dog. Hunts continued all over the region, and one exciting report came from a news article in The Current that read, The lone hunter to see the creature was Heltford William Bonavlaire in the wilderness near Diamond Lake when a beautiful black creature about three feet long with a tail two feet long leapt out of the scrub road in front of them. Bonavlaire brought up his shotgun and cut loose with the right barrel. The 12-gauge charged bit into a rotten tree stump as the startled cat began zigzagging through the underbrush, kicking back sprays of snow as it fled into the stretch of the green cedars. So the sightings would continue to July of 1939 when it was reported that a large brown dog had been killed by hunters after being caught in a bear trap. The animal was described so vicious that it had been decided to shoot it. They shot it to put it out of its misery. After this, the attacks and sightings reports of reports of the sightings and that have fell off dramatically. And one news article in the Courant would say this of the death of the Glackwookus. In a few days, the beast was caught and bullets ended its suffering. A few persons witnessed the incident and they decided to bury the animal and say no more about it. After that, Glawakis was seen no more. And one by one, Glawakis men admitted that the dog probably was the terrible monster. Well, maybe, perhaps. Still others waited until Middletown farmers one night reported seeing a strange beast passing through. They said that they must have seen him. It relieved the monitory of the dreary winter. It's provided small talk for uncounted diner tables just as the subject of the hurricane began to pale. It got any number of ordinary slothful individuals into the open air. Now it is dead. But if one knows Glattenbury, it will rise again. It was too useful to remain long buried. Interestingly, sightings did continue to some extent, just in areas farther outside of the creature's typical range. And in the 1950s, there would be a renewed spate of sightings, after which the creature would simply disappear for over a decade before popping back up to public consciousness in 1966. In September of that year, reports began again, coming from a wide variety of witnesses, including supposedly first selectman Escott McWinney. Although this sighting would come to be outed as a hoax, after this, the creature seemed to have vanished altogether and has not been seen since, leaving us to wonder what could have been, or what this could have been. Considering the long spans between sightings, the reports from the 30s, the 50s, and 60s must surely have been different animals. But what? Were these escaped exotic animals? Out of place animal? A dog? Maybe even hoaxes? Or maybe even something more mysterious? The identity of the Glackwuckus was never has never been concretely determined. There is no answer to what was killing these animals or causing these sightings, and it remains a curious local historic oddity. So what do you guys think? Was it that big brown dog, or was it something else? 
And why would it pop up every couple of years, every decade? If you're from there and you've heard of this, let us know. Go hit up the Discord. Of course, all the links are down in the description or any other place if you don't feel comfortable with Discord, wherever. (laughs) But I'd like to know if you're from there, have you heard these stories? Are they still going on? What's up with this? What do you guys think? Let me know. All right, on to the next. The mysterious case of the Helos Airway ghost plane. On August 14, 2005, Helos Airways Flight 522 was scheduled to fly from Cyprus to Prague in the Czech Republic. And it had a stopover in Athens, Greece. So about 9 a.m., the plane took off, and it had about 115 passengers on board with a crew of about six for what was just to be a short flight over their stopover at Athens. It was a short flight with an an experienced captain. He was a 35-year-old veteran pilot, Hans Jorgen Merton. So there would be no reason to suspect that the flight would be anything other than smooth and routine. Indeed, the takeoff was flawless, and everything was going fine as the aircraft climbed. But shortly before the plane entered Greek airspace, there was an eerie transmission received from the flight by the Helos Operations Center on the ground, in which the captain said, the takeoff configuration warning on, cooling equipment normal and alternative offline, the ventilation cooling fan lights are off, where are my equipment cooling circuit breakers? When the engineer on the ground asked, can you confirm that the pressurization panel is set to auto, There was no response, and all communications were lost. However, the plane kept flying normally, as if nothing had happened. When it then entered Greek airspace without any further word, the flight was declared to be renegade, and it it would only get stronger from there. From here, it would begin the strange and sad saga of a doomed plane, that would go on to become known as the ghost plane. At this point, when communications were lost and the airlines were just silently flying around, the operations room on the ground was in a major crisis mode and had become a hive of activity as they scrambled to try and figure out what was going on. At 10.40, the aircraft entered the holding pattern for Athens Airport and circled around as if it was preparing to land. And throughout all of this numerous attempts to establish radio contact, we were met with silence. Two F-16 fighter aircraft from Helenic Air Force 111th Combat Wing were scrambled from NEA Anikolos Air Force Base and sent to intercept and investigate the renegade plane as it was now being feared that terrorist attack was in motion. The jets approached Flight 522 and at 1124 circled around them trying to get a view within the passenger plane, and what they saw would shock them. In the cockpit, the captain's chair was empty, and the co-op pilot was slumped over in his seat, motionless and unresponsive. In the passenger cabin, it could be seen that oxygen mask had been deployed, but not used, merely dangling freely, and three passengers could be seen sitting motionless, as if they were frozen. As the F-16s continued their appraisal of the situation, an unidentified flight attendant could be seen to enter the cockpit to sit in the captain's chair and struggle to gain control of the plane. This flight attendant would later be identified as Andreas Prodomio, who held a UK commercial pilot license, but was in no way qualified to fly a Boeing 737. An unidentified woman later found out to be his girlfriend, Harris Columbus, 
also entered to the cockpit, seemingly trying to help him control the plane. It was still unclear where the captain was or why these two were moving about, while everyone else seemed to be slumped over or unresponsive. And Pradamuru would wave at the Op-16s just before one of the engines on the plane burned out. It spewed smoke as the plane went into a descent. It then crashed into the hills of Granamitico, 25 miles from Athens, where it set ablaze a swath of land that causing no ground casualties, thank God. However, no one on board would survive, tragically making it the deadliest aviation accident in Greek history. Now, when the wreckage was sifted through, it was found that most of the bodies of the victims had been frozen solid before crashing, still strapped to their seats and with the oxygen mask dangling right in front of them. But they never used them. How had this happened? What had happened? An investigation was immediately launched, and it was soon found that the plane had been experiencing some unusual problem, problems even before it touched down in Lanakara. It would become to light that the crew arriving from London had reported that the door seal was frozen, as well as some strange and anomalous noises heard from the right aft service door. There had been the there had been carried out a pressurization leak, a check, and the system had been switched to manual. The same plane had experienced pressurization problems before, and there had been numerous complaints about the aircraft often getting cold or having air conditioning problems. So what had happened? How had this plane lost everyone aboard, only to keep flying as usual? Well, the main idea at the time was that there had been catastrophic pressurization malfunction due to the system not being set back to auto during the maintenance check. Even after various checks during the pre-flight procedure, the air, the after-start check and the after-takeoff check, there would have been resulted in a slow depressurization of the entire aircraft as it climbed to cruising altitude with most people not even aware that this was happening, other than an uncomfortable sensation in the ears. But the results would have been devastating. A dwindling oxygen supply would have crept up on them totally and totally Im immobilized them. If it, had, if it had been set back to auto mode, the preservation check would have automatically pressurized the cabin at a high, higher altitude, but in this case had failed to do so. And the pilots were surmised to having overlooked this fact due to slowly losing their cognitive functions due to lack of oxygen. So the pressure in the flight had been become abnormally low and this caused everyone to lose their consciousness before they even had a chance to use the oxygen masks that had dropped down. A warning would have sounded at this point, but it is thought that the pilots had mistaken it for a takeoff configuration warning, which signals that the aircraft is not ready for takeoff and can only sound on the ground, further making matters confusing. It is still not clear why the captain would have left his post, but it seems that there was some amount of confusion going on at the time. On the top of this, a sudden decompression at 30,000 feet and above can plunge temperatures inside the cabin to below zero degrees, which would have further incapacitated passengers and crew. The captain had then at some point turned on autopilot, which had taken the plane along its planned course, even as those aboard lost consciousness. As for Andreas and his girlfriend, it was thought that they had only managed to avoid the fate because they had been carrying a personal oxygen supply and had been able to buy themselves some more time before commandeering the plane and losing control of it as it ran out of fuel. The whole thing would lead to various lawsuits, 
with families of the passengers suing for up to $125 million in compensation, all of which would have been settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Several of the people involved with the airline would be found guilty of negligence and even manslaughter and were let off with stiff fines. In the press, this was all being reported as a mysterious ghost plane, and it ramped up a lot of attention. Indeed, it all hasn't been completely explained to everyone's satisfaction. There are even theories that this wasn't an accident at all, but rather the results of the airplane being haunted. In the end, there are still many mysteries to it all, and at the very least, the Helos Flight 522 ghost plane has remained a very eerie aviation mystery that has continued to be picked apart and debated to this day. Very interesting. So what do you guys think it was? Do you think it was all just the malfunctions and the lack of the pilot? Which is weird because he was a 35-year-old veteran. He should have known, and he even asked him, has it been switched to auto and not manual? So very weird, definitely. All right, on to the next, the last one of the stories for today. And I, I brought this up about the men in black invading dreams and turning them into nightmares. The reason that I'm bringing this up is very weird that I came across this, honestly, because I don't know if anybody's um, heard of Disclosure with um, Jason Cherka talking to Ray. I put in quotations Ray because um, it's not his real name, obviously. And I've been watching this disclosure, and it's on Unified TV. And I'll put the link down in the description. And it's about this guy, Ray, who works for TLS, which is, I forgot what the name of, what the whole name of it is, but it's a secret organization, apparently, um, that's worldwide that not only, well, these people learn how to do specific thing and use earth's energies and spiritual energies and they work for our government apparently um you'd have to go watch it like i said i'll put the link down below and in the discord um with about it's just a very weird story <laughs> um i'm not saying it's true i have no clue you know we just bring you the stories we don't really answer anything <laughs> We leave that up to you, right? But, so, anyway, it's weird. Like I said, I was watching part four of this, or part three, and he was talking about how the men in black, or how, not the men in black, but how this government agency can control your dreams while he's in a different, like, state, right? Say he's in New York, and you're in California, and they have to persuade you to do something, so they'll invade your dreams and either scare the crap out of you or persuade you through your dreams to do what they need you to do, right? He also said when mentioning the men in black that they're not called the men in black anymore, that they're called FAC, F-A-C, which is Fixers, Assassins, Cleaners. And it's F-A-C, that's now the men in black. So it was very weird that when I was looking for stories to come for the podcast on the internet, that I came upon this men in black invading your dreams and turning them into nightmares. And of course, when it comes to the mystery of the men in black, there's one thing that many people aren't aware of. Namely, that some encounters with the men in black occur when the witness, or perhaps victims is a better term, are asleep. No, I'm not talking about dreams or nightmares. Rather, I'm talking about the men in black literally getting into our minds. Is it possible that such a thing could happen? Certainly, a lot of people believe that such a thing has happened to them. 
And today, we're going to talk about some examples with you. Now, this, of course, comes from universe, uh, Mysterious Universe. So I'm just going to read this. And I want to hear what you guys think. Because it's just, it's just mind-blowing to me that, you know, I've always been... If you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I've been, <laughs> been terrified by the men in black. I always say they're coming to get me, right? And that when I get, I get creeped out talking about them. I have ever since I seen the old photograph. And I not, if you guys have been on the subject before or researched it, I'm sure you've seen it with the guy standing in the doorway. Ever since I've seen that picture. I've been creeped out about the men in black. It's not even the ones walking into the hotel or the ones that seem that, like they're alien or whatnot. It's it's just that, I don't know what it is, but it's that guy in the doorway standing there watching people that freak me out. Don't ask me why. I have no clue. So anyway, I will, of course, link all the show notes. I have all the links to the articles that I have, I talk about. And so he writes, only hours after briefly seeing a cigar-shaped UFO hovering near Stonehenge, Wiltshire, England, on December 25th, 1985, Sondra Green, who was driving home in the early hours after a late-night Christmas Eve party in the English city of Bath, had a bizarre dream. In it, there was three men in black, and they warned Sandra to keep her nose out of UFOs. They were, as they usually are, cadaverous, slightly dead-looking MIB. As for the warning, it was one of those or-else type threats that the MIB are so skilled at making. The dream was so graphic, it led Sandra to believe that the MIB had the ability to literally get inside her dreams and manipulate those very same dreams and issue a bone-chilling warning. One which she has still not forgotten. Sandra shared the story with um, them on the evening of September 9th, 2014, and the facts of the affair still firmly fixed in her mind and her memory after close to 30 years. And I have to say, I wasn't just... It wasn't just the facts that were fixed in Sandra's mind. It was that cold fear, too. Even across a transatlantic telephone call, I could sense that it was like everything wasn't well. I messaged Sandra a few days later in effort to clarity or clarify a couple things that she had mentioned to me. She did not reply. She still hasn't. Is this a sign of something? I hope not. That's what he wrote. So another person, Angie, had just seen such an encounter in Leominster, or Leominster, Massachusetts, on September 6, 1994. She told me late, uh, um, late on the evening of October 8, 2014, her reason for contacting me was due to the fact that Quite out of the blue, she had suddenly began to dream of MIB events that occurred 20 years earlier. Back then, Angie was visited by something much like the black-suited Slenderman. You know, the ultimate internet meme, right? Had come to life in a tulpa form. As for what happened two decades later... Angie was sleeping when the skinny MIB disturbed her sleep by manifesting in her bedroom and staring at her with a menacing grin on its pale, ghoulish face. For a few moments, Angie was unable to move. As she finally broke the spell of paralysis, however, the creature was gone. It was hardly surprised when Angie, or I was hardly surprised when Angie added that as a re result of the new dreams, she now feared a return visit from the men in black. I tried to stay as positive on things and told Angie try and dismiss, dismiss such worries from her mind. But to this day, it would not surprise me if Angie gets that second feared encounter. 
as my words really did not seem to comfort her, even though we chatted again some weeks later. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy, right? I've never heard as much as I've talked about Men in Black. And if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know I've talked about it many, many times, right? That's why I say they're coming to get me, because I keep talking about them. But I just thought it was so weird that I had just watched this disclosure and that this government agency, which is, mind you, is supposed to be on the good side of things, that can manipulate dreams, among other things. Like, it can astro-travel. These people in this TLS or whatever can astro-travel and do what they need to do and blah, blah, blah. Like I said, go watch it because it's very freaking interesting, right? Um, And it goes all the way back to, like, men staring at goats, right? Because our government was interested in this stuff. And this is not... This is fact. Our government was interested. And did they really break it? I don't know. I'm not in the government or any of these agencies to say, yeah, they broke it. But it's definitely interesting. And when it comes to this agency being able to, you know, manipulate dreams, I had never heard of the men in black doing that. I mean, I've heard of the men in black showing up and then a person um dreaming or not dreaming but going to sleep and all of a sudden being outside and don't know how he got there um after being visited by the men in black earlier like in a week I think or a month I don't know I can't remember off the top of my head I've heard about those, but I've never heard about Men in Black manipulating your dreams. Which is odd because I've taught, like I said, I've talked about the Men in Black a lot. And now this all comes to see synchronicities. I'm telling you, this is what it is. Okay? When we say, be careful what you wish for, this is exactly what it means. Because. I don't know if we're creating it or what, but when we think about things like this, right? We think about, say, I watched that video talking about them manipulating dreams, and then I see this article. Like, it, something happens in the energies around that makes this stuff happen, right? What happens when paranormal investigators go to a place that they heard was evil or that it was a demon? They get thrown around and shit and scratched and blah, blah, blah. Well, are we making that happen or and are we creating it? Like creating energy tulpas? Or are we just being kind of like if you believe in fairies? Most likely, if you end, like if you truly believe in fairies, you will see fairies. You will see wood spirits. You will see, you know, you'll open up that area. So, what the hell's going on, people? Anyway, let's go back to another case. So, he says, on checking his email around 8.30 a.m. on February 28th, 2016... I saw one from a woman named Belinda, who had a traumatic dream two nights earlier. She had encountered a man in black wearing shiny black gloves. In the dream, the MIB pursued her along an old railroad truck track. Sorry, one that was seemingly never ending. Only when the MIB was in a few feet of her, did Belinda wake up. But she woke up with an ear-piercing scream, something which Belinda's husband attests to. Now, over the years, a few reports have surfaced of the menacing men in black wearing black gloves, but certainly nowhere near the extent to which they are associated with black fedoras and the 1950s-era black cars. 
between, because they're always, right? They're always seen in those black cars. They're always wearing fedoras. They look like they're dressed from the 50s. That's what we've heard, right? Um, I can imagine them wearing black gloves with that, because that was a thing back then, I believe. But nobody really talks about that, I guess, you know. But um, between October of 2015 and the early part of 2016, however, he said he received what he can only describe as a cluster of reports of the MIB wearing black gloves. In other words, Belinda's case was not alone. There were others, too, and all very similar. Tracy Austin, he said, is a longtime friend of his, who he met back in 1995, and at the time, Tracy and him only lived about 45-minute drive from each other in central rural England. As a result, they spent a lot of time traveling to UFO conferences in the UK and having a good time, very often, you know, with a mutual friend, Irene Bott, who used to run the Staffordshire UFO group. He said Tracy moved to the United States a couple of years before him and now lives in Las Vegas. She's done very well, right? Blah, blah, blah. And the plan, his plan was to have Tracy first interview um, him and David Weatherly. And if you don't know who David Weatherly is, he's got a Facebook, you know, um, I've known of him for a very long time. But anyway, they were going to interview separately. He would be interviewed. And of course, this is uh, Nick Redfern. Um, if you don't know who that is, he runs basically Mysterious Universe and stuff like that. So anyway, he would be interviewed on the MIB and David on the Black Eyed Children. And then there would be a roundtable discussion on the both of the phenomena noting the undeniable links between the two. And that is the thing. Black Eyed Children and MIB kind of give me the same feel when I read about them or talk about them. Does that happen to you guys too? They just throw off that same energy, like that eerie, I don't want nothing to do with it kind of energy. <laughs> so a date was soon fixed, he said, September 22nd. Both David and him flew on the same morning, and spent the afternoon hanging out at their hotel. The High Strangest wasn't just limited to the show, however. He said, Tracy herself had a trio of stories of her own related to me. They were, of course, a bizarre, as bizarre as they are disturbing. She told me with doing the show on the Black Eyed Kids, I was reading David's book every day before we did the show, so it was, it was on my mind. And it only happened the one time, but I had a dream that we had a friend over and there was a knock at the door and that the friend had come over and opened, uh, the friend that came over opened the door and I saw a black eyed kid standing at the door, one single boy, and the friend asked him to come in and I said, no, 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 you can't let him in. But he wandered in slightly. It was a kid with a hoodie and jeans, a typical kid. And I pushed him out the door and said, no, you can't let him in. It shook me a bit when I woke up. The skeptic might be inclined to say that because Tracy was focusing on the BECs, the black-eyed kids, or black-eyed children at the time, and diligently preparing for the show, that all of the data she had digested had now spilled over into her dream state. Which, I can understand that. I can live with that, right? And her subconscious. I knew so that such a thing was not all that implausible. I also knew, however, that the MIB had the uncanny ability to essentially invade our dreams and turn them into absolute nightmares. Maybe the black-eyed children can do likewise, too. Creepy, right? So what do you guys think? I mean, like I said, I've studied the black-eyed kids. I've studied... MIB research, I shouldn't say study, study, um, but it was just very odd to me that I had just, heard, is this group the MIB? He does talk about the MIB, but not as 
like it's a part of their group that's another there's two different kinds aliens and you know what we've heard aliens and then the government people um but i think it's just very odd that he was talking about how they can implicate you know mess with dreams i don't know all right so let's get ready those those are my stories i hope you liked them and enjoyed them and creeped you out a little bit because <laughs> it does definitely creep me out a little bit sometimes so let's go ahead and get into the news of the week this comes out of um, unexplainedmysteries.com and of course like I said all the links will be in the description below if you'd like to read more about them um, and this comes from uh, today is the what 20th this comes from the 17th February 17, 2023, DARPA reveals that it has enabled an AI to fly an F-16 fighter jet. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but Tesla cars have not been doing too well with that AI, right? I mean, they've been doing good, don't get me wrong. Um, but there's been some crashes with the AI, right? So what's up with DARPA letting AI fly a F-16 fighter jet? That's not cool to me. Is it cool to you? I want to hear your thoughts on this. I really do. Head on over to the Discord or my Facebook or Twitter, whatever. Whatever you want to tell me or, you know, discuss with me. I want to hear your thoughts on this because it creeps me the fuck out. I'm not lying. So it says the agency has seemingly succeeded to make it possible for artificial intelligence to fly an F-16. Robotic anonymous aircraft, such as drones, have been around for years. But now scientists at DARPA, of course, which DARPA means the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, have revealed that they have taken things one step further by creating an artificial intelligence capable of flying a plane that typically requires a human pilot. And according to the press release, the software was given full control of the F-16 fighter jet and actually conducting multiple test flights over the United States. Now, again, this has me thinking, is this is what, are they doing this with, <laughs> well, I know a couple of the UFOs supposed the balloons whatever that was shot down in this past couple weeks were man-made f-16s or man i should say not man-made <laughs> it's all man-made right um piloted human piloted but is this what's going on it kind of got me wondering right so it said in early december 2022 ACE algorithm developers uploaded their AI software into a speci specially modified F-16 test aircraft known as the X-62A or Vista Varial In-Flight Simulator Test Aircraft at the Air Force Base or Air Force Test Pilot School at Edwards Air Force Base in California and flew multiple flights over several days, DARPA wrote. The flight demonstrated that the AI agents can control a full-scale fighter jet and provide invaluable live flight data. So does this mean that we could see AI-controlled planes going into battle? As things, which wouldn't be a bad thing, right? But I'm worried about AI taking over the world. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't like the idea of this. Do I like saving lives? Oh, hell yes. Hell yeah. But I I don't know. What if it starts shooting things it's not supposed to? Since as things stand, probably not. Instead, the AI will likely be used as an autopilot of sorts that will provide assistance to actual human pilots during missions. Even so... This development will likely raise some red flags with regard to prohibition of potential anonymous weapons platforms and the possibility that such systems could see combat in the future. If an F-16 can fly itself, 
what other vehicles, such as tanks or submarines, can do the same thing. Artificial intelligence on the battlefield. It seems practically practical in practically in yeah, let's talk, Missy, inevitable. And it does seem like it's heading that way. I'm not going to lie. But that's, I don't know. That freaks me out, man. Freaks me out. In other news, astronomers have identified a very unusual galaxy that can help improve our understanding of dark matter. Now, let me talk to you about dark matter for a little bit. Okay, according to some people, dark matter and what lives in dark matter is bad. Okay, they're the ones that have been taking over the world, the Illuminati, if you will. I don't know. Uh, don't quote me on that because I really don't know. But this is this dark matter stuff apparently gets into people and that's what causes the evil of the world. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue. I don't know how dark matter works. But anyway, the precise nature of dark matter and dark energy, which are thought to be an account up to 96% of the observable universe, remains one of the most important unsolved mysteries in modern physics. Despite consecrated... Const oh, my God. It's one of those days, guys. Despite efforts... Astronomers have been unable to observe dark matter directly because it does not observe, absorb, emit, or reflect any electromagnetic radiation. Thus, it makes it impossible to see. Now, recently, astronomers detected the presence of previously undiscovered dwarf galaxy known as FAST J0139 plus 4328 which is situated 94 million light years from the Earth. What makes this galaxy particularly intriguing is that it does not appear to be emitting any visual light whatsoever and seems, in fact, to be made up of a mostly, entirely, of dark matter. This type of galaxy is known, unsurprisingly, as a dark galaxy. These findings provide observational evidence that FAST JL139 plus 4328 is an isolated dwarf or dark dwarf galaxy. And scientists from the Chinese Academy of Science in Beijing wrote in a newspaper, this is the first time that an isolated dark galaxy has been detected in the nearby universe. And because we still don't understand the nature of dark matter, it's similarly difficult to understand exactly how a galaxy like this forms and what role dark matter plays in the formation of galaxies like our own. Some scientists even question whether dark matter actually exists at all or whether some other phenomenon could explain the discrepancies that dark matter is thought to solve. Perhaps this newly discovered dark galaxy will provide clues that will one day help solve the mysteries once and for all. It's definitely interesting. Like, how do they, if they, I mean, I know when they look for planets and moons, they look for um, the moon to come and compass with the planets so they can see the moon, right? It comes, the dark moon comes into the light so they can see it that way. So how did they, like, discover a dark galaxy? Huh. I'll have to look more into that. That's interesting. Elon Musk speaks out on the topic of UFOs and alien life. Now, I haven't read this article yet, so... I don't know if this is stuff that he's said before or if this happened, this just happened. Um, it's from February 15, 2023. So let's see. Musk doesn't seem to think that there's aliens out there at all. See, now that's new. So let's go ahead and read it. The SpaceX CEO and entrepreneur had a few things to say on the subject during the World Government Summit in Dubai. 
like him or loathe him, there is no denying that Elon Musk is still one of the most influential people in the world today, especially when it comes to areas such as technology and spaceflight. On the subject of UFOs and alien life, however, the billionaire remains strangely skeptical. I do find the whole question of aliens a very interesting one. You know, what is typically called the Fermi Paradox, which is that if the universe is really old as scientists think, where are the aliens, he said. If it really has been around 13.8 billion years, if so, shouldn't there be aliens all over the place? The crazy thing is that I've seen no evidence of alien technology or alien life whatsoever. And I think I'd know. You know, the space acts. I don't think anyone knows more about space than me, or at least the space technology. He went on to admit that he found the data that we are alone in the universe troubling. What that actually could mean is a civilization of tiny, like a tiny candle in the vast darkness, he said, and a very vulnerable tiny candle that could easily be blown out. And I think we should therefore take great care of what many or what may very well be this tiny candle in the vast darkness and make sure it does not go out and we extend the light of consciousness beyond earth and do everything we can to ensure that light of consciousness does not go out what do you guys think but didn't he like say mention years ago that he believed in aliens I don't know I can't remember I believe he did. Well, I know he was joking. Don't get me wrong. I know he was joking about him being an alien. He's like, people think I'm an alien, so I'm an alien. You know, <laughs> you got to go with it, right? Um, but it definitely makes you think. What do you guys think? And the last story for today in our news portion segment whatever you want to call it. Scientists propose a conventional explanation for the sightings of Bigfoot. Now, most of you know these, these news articles, I don't read them before I read the headlines. And I kind of skim them. But I, I like sharing the surprise with you guys on... Or I should say, I like sharing the surprise with you guys. What the hell is that in the tree? Oh, it's a bird. Um, sorry, <laughs> it's getting that time and I got to work today. Um, but anyway, so when I read these articles, um, I'm learning about them just as you are. And that's the way I like it with the news portion of this is because I want to be just as surprised with you guys, right? So it says data scientist Flo Faxon has put forward a theory that could explain the majority of alleged Bigfoot sightings. When it comes to cryptozoology mysteries, only the Loch Ness Monster is more widely known and debated than Bigfoot, a tall bipedal hominid said to roam the forests of North America. But is there really an unknown species of primate wandering around, somehow undiscovered by science, science against all odds? Or is there some other explanation for what people have been seeing? And according to data scientist Flo Faxon, the answer is obvious. Reports of Bigfoot can be simply attributed to sightings of black bears walking around on their hind legs. I call bullshit. <laughs> right off the bat. Just my opinion. I'm sorry. But just off the bat, I'm calling bullshit. He says, it's an idea that has been floated around before, and while some witnesses remain admit that what they saw was no bear, it's likely to explain at least some Bigfoot encounters. Yes, it, I will say it could explain some Bigfoot encounters. Because black bears, you know, when they're walking on two legs, it does look like somebody in a costume because their skin is all jiggly and that, you know, <laughs> as weird as that sounds. It just doesn't look normal, right? I can understand that being, you know, misidentified as Bigfoot. Yes, I get that. 
Um, let's go back to the story and then I'll talk about what, you know. Since black bears normally walk around on all fours, but they can sometimes walk upright on two legs, creating the impression of a tall bipedal creature wandering through the trees. If you only caught a glimpse of one through the foliage, you might as well think it was Bigfoot. That said, many witnesses are experienced hunters who would likely to be able to tell the difference between a black bear and a large pedal hominid creature. That's my argument, too. So, Foxen's data links high numbers of Bigfoot sightings with large black bears' populations in certain states. Although this trend does not always hold up, as, um, as for example, some states see, see a large number of Bigfoot sightings despite having very little in the way of bear population. Notably, Sasquatch sightings have been reported in states with no no breeding black bear populations, he said. Although this may be interpreted as evidence for the existence of the unknown hominid in North America, it's also explained by misidentification of other animals, including humans, among the possibility. That's my argument when it comes to Bigfoot, is a lot of these sightings are seen by hunters. And those are the ones that I tend to gravitate towards. Not all, but mostly because they know what the hell they're looking at. They're out in the woods day in, day out in hunting season. You know, I just can't see a hunter misidentifying a bear walking on hind legs. You know, I just can't. Um... Like I said, they know what they're looking at. And it's not something normal when they say it's Bigfoot. Just my take on it, I could be wrong, but I highly doubt it. Um, Yeah, so what do you guys think? What's your take on this? I thought it was going to be something so interesting. I really did. And then he said that. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Because I do, I like to get both sides of it. Even though I believe in this stuff, I do like to hear the scientific points of things. You know, whether it be UFO, paranormal, or um, cryptids. I like hearing all different sides of the story. I always have, right? So I was excited, thinking there was something new going to be happening. And he said, Black Bear. <laughs> And not only that, not only hunters, let me tell you, even people like in Alaska, okay? When I lived in Alaska, we're surrounded by bears. Bears come into our town all the time. It's nothing new. It's been happening for millions of years, right? Because we expanded on their homes. So, therefore, yeah, I just... People seeing Native Americans seeing bears walking on their hind legs. They've definitely seen that before. Like, to me, even though I lived in Alaska for five years, seeing a bear it's walk on hind legs is unnatural to me. I, I still, I might misinterpret. You know what I mean? But those people know. Hunters know. It's something they've seen before. And maybe on a regular basis. I don't know. I'm not them. But I do not think that all Bigfoot sightings are bears on their hind legs. What do you guys think? Hit me up in the Discord or on social media. Um, you can find me at Shadows of the Moon 1 on Facebook. Moon Shadows 1 on Twitter. Missy396 on Facebook. That's my personal Facebook. Um... Yeah, so hit me up, or Discord, like I said, the link's down in the bottom. Um, it's an invite, you know, so you know how Discord works. So I don't ramble that off. <laughs> um, so there you have it, folks. That is the podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know, really. I'd like to know that you guys enjoy these things. And um, yeah, we'll see you. Sorry, I haven't been regular with these. Um, I've been working. I have a part-time job now, so I haven't been able to research as much as I'd like to, 
But you know what? I love my job, so it's cool. Um, not only to mention, you know, that I do a lot of other side projects regularly as well. But I like to give you guys the time. You know, I love sharing these stories with you. I love hanging with you. And um, I appreciate each and every one of you that listen. I really do. And, uh, yeah. So, like I said, check out the links below. Click on the ones you want to follow me on or, you know, whatever. <laughs> or the ones that look interesting to you. I don't know. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for hanging with me today. And I will see you next time. And remember... Always find something today that makes you smile with your eyes. Okay? Smile with those eyes. I love you guys. Take care. Bye-bye.